We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Kicks for Pace, presented by the Bear Report. Your number one source for Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Hosted by Alex Bledin and Andrew Freeman on Overtime Media. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm happy to be joined by Usaid Koshal, writer for the Bear Report. Usaid, how are we doing today? Doing well, man. Uh, Bears are in the playoffs, kind of back their way in there, never got really got in on their own terms. But I think this is like the fifth or sixth time in 20 years that they've made the playoffs. So I'll take it. Excited to see what happens on Sunday. Don't have high hopes, but yeah, man, how are you? Yeah, doing good. It's kind of weird that to, to think about the Bears being the playoffs coming off that that Packers game. You know, we're recording this episode on Wednesday, January 6th, following the Bears 35 to 16 loss to the Packers in the regular season finale. You know, like you said, it, it, the Bears, they didn't get in on probably the way they would like to. Uh, they had to rely on the Rams to beat the Cardinals uh, in order to make the playoffs, which they did. So, you know, they're in the tournament, so to speak, but, you know, just looking at this past game in and of itself, the game wasn't pretty. It, it always sucks to lose to that team up north, but, you know, at the end of the day, the Bears are in the playoffs and they're going to have another chance here to try and see if they can go on a run uh, to maybe find their way into the Super Bowl. Yeah, you mentioned the team up north. I think that, because I was talking to a friend about this yesterday, right, just virtually over Zoom, and it was interesting because, I brought up the stat. I think Aaron Rodgers started for the Packers back in like 2007 or eight or something. So it's been a good 13, 14 years. Right. And the bears are, I think five and 21 against Rodgers. And then you look at obviously the Ryan pace era. I mean, the bears have only beaten the Packers twice under Ryan pace. Matt Nagy now has four straight losses against Matt LaFleur and the Packers. Right. So it's definitely one of those things where you look at, and we've heard multiple big name guys say all the time, like Adam Hogue, Adam Johns, the Bears ownership uses these Green Bay games twice a year as a measuring stick for where the Bears are at. And I think that that's totally valid because at the end of the day, if you can't beat the best and the team that's consistently kind of been ahead of you or been better than you for three decades at this point, almost it seems like, then you will never be the best. And so when you look at it, right, Chicago, they started off, they had a really limited game plan because it was all about like keeping Aaron Rodgers off the field, right? They had to, you know, have long possessions, ensure that Rodgers would stay off the field, had to run the ball. But unfortunately, when the time came to play good situational football, the Bears were never really able to play good situational football. I mean, there's the one drive where I think they had like three or four fourth downs, right? They converted on three of them, did not convert the fourth one. And I know that people are like, okay, well, those are situations where Mitch Trubisky needs to step up. And it's like, okay, the quarterback does have to step up and make plays in those situations. But I think people are forgetting that Mitch Trubisky is just so limited in terms of what he can do that the Bears, right, there's no point in bringing him back for year five because if the same issues that we've been seeing in years one through four or years one, two, three still exist in year four, there's no way that things are going to be better in year five. So it's all around like this was a franchise defining moment for the Bears and everything that went wrong went wrong. And the same concerns that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks really surfaced in this game. 
Yeah, you know, I actually think that when it comes to their offensive game plan, things went well for them, I thought, for the first three quarters. They kind of did what they needed to do in terms of, like you said, they needed to keep Aaron Rodgers off the field because we saw what happened the last time these two teams met. You know, they tried to get a little bit aggressive with their play-action passing game to take some deep shots down the field, and that led to turnovers. And obviously, Aaron Rodgers, he's going to take advantage of that. That Packers offense uh, is just a well-oiled machine right now. You can't rely on your defense. I don't care how great you are. I know the Bears' defense has played pretty poorly over the back half of the season, but I don't care what defense is playing that Packers team. Other than the Tampa Bay game, they really have had their way with any defense this season. So, you know, it had to be an offensive game where the Bears, they were going to have to win this game on the offensive side of the ball and control the clock in this one. And, I, and they did for the most part. I think they had a, what was it, an 11-minute uh, disparity uh, of time of possession or something like that. So they were, their offense was on the field a lot, and they were able to really put together some nice long drives. But I think when it comes down to that, there are two things that you have to do with that strategy. You have to convert third and fourth downs, which, you know, they did well on fourth down. And they did, you know, not the greatest on third down, but they were able to usually convert on fourth down, which was nice to extend drives. But you also have to convert in the red zone. And they did a poor job in the red zone of converting, uh, you know, long drives into touchdowns. I think they were one for five in the game in the red zone. And those are the things that just can't happen. Obviously, you had the one at the end of halftime. That kind of makes sense. They had to, you had to get points at the end of that drive. But there were two instances where I felt like they sell for field goals when they should have been going for touchdowns there. Uh, they had two fourth and short situations where uh, they really should have been looking to get touchdowns on, on those drives, which I was pretty disappointed in those decisions there. But I, I think it all comes down to that fourth and one play in the fourth quarter. And, you know, I, I, I'm just going to say this, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about the play call uh, on that one being less than ideal. And I can certainly hear an argument for it, but at the end of the day, you have Allen Robinson, your number one wide receiver, somebody that, uh, has been great for you all season long in a favorable matchup against a, I'd say an average slot corner for the Packers. You'd expect Allen Robinson to win that matchup, you know, nine times out of 10 in that, in that scenario. Um, and if you look at what they did earlier in the drive, they did, you know, they were able to convert a fourth and one on a similar type of play where Darnell Mooney did a little sprint out action. Uh, Mitch Trubisky was able to hit him for a fourth down conversion. So, you know, are you going to, only complain when you know the play doesn't work you know the bears were in a situation they were already four for four at that point on fourth downs they were going to lose a fourth down conversion eventually so i i don't me personally i don't have an issue with the play call but the execution on that one just wasn't good jimmy graham i don't know what he was doing on that play i don't know if he was supposed to pick Allen robinson's man or not i don't know if he was just blocking downfield who knows there but you would expect Allen robinson to win in a one-on-one matchup there and it really just came down to that play and of course, Aaron Rodgers goes down the field, then gets a touchdown, and uh, the game was pretty much over from that point. Yeah, and I want to go back to the situational play calling. Well, not necessarily the situational play calling, but just the situational football, right? Because you look at it, I mean, there was a point, I think it was the 11-minute drive that the Bears had where they were down just 21 to 16, I think it was. And so it was a fourth down, and there are about eight or nine minutes to go in the game, I think. So there was a lot of time left. And I really thought that instead of going for it in that situation, the smart thing to do would have been to look at the clock and say, okay, we have about eight, nine minutes, about 10 minutes, I want to say, left. The smart thing to do here is just kick the field goal because you have a really reliable kicker in Cairo Santos. All right, get the three points. Now you're down just two, right? Now you're putting the game back into the hands of your defense and saying, hey, defense, can you get out there and can you get us a stop so that the offense can come back, all right, and then get a touchdown and win this game? I think that that's one thing, the bad situation of football, as well as a lot of the missed opportunities that's really being overlooked because the Bears had what, like – three dropped interceptions mm-hmm. in this game. I mean, I know Kendall Vildor had one. Eddie Jackson just seemingly has one like every other week that he can't haul in, but Eddie Jackson had one in this game. And then Barcavius Mingo had one too. But the point is, is that the Bears lost this game because they didn't play good situational football. And there's just a lot of like missed opportunities that you look at. And then you mentioned like the Jimmy Graham incident right there where he wasn't sure if he was supposed to run a route. What was he supposed to do? or was he supposed to pick someone? I think that those are things that we look at and we've been hearing this for a long time. Now we've been hearing it since August when they got back to Alice Hall for the training camp and September, obviously, just in the sense that Matt Nagy's always been like details, 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 but we 
how many times have we seen guys really hone in on the details on this offense? Because those are situations that do bring to the surface, right? Of why aren't guys honing in on a lot of the big details on this offense, especially for this system being so complicated. It's like everything has to go right for every play to be successful, almost in a complicated offense like this. Yeah, they, they've done a good job, I think, since the buy with those details. They seem to, you know, operate much better as a unit. I think overall, it just, for whatever reason, that play, for whatever reason, just didn't operate correctly. And I don't know. You know what? That, honestly, it's all in the past now. It's on to the playoffs with the Bears. Not the way they wanted to end their season, but they have a chance to maybe win a playoff game here against the Saints, who I think have a favorable matchup against. So I think uh, we're going to be covering this, that Saints game near the end here, but uh, we also have a lot to talk about with college football as well, kind of trans- transitioning to the subject for today's episode. So as we look forward to the playoffs, we also have some interesting storylines today in regards to the college football playoff. You know, we're going to be recapping last week's games uh, with Notre Dame, Alabama, and especially that Clemson, Ohio State game, a lot of interesting stuff to talk about there. And then we'll do a nice little preview of the championship between Alabama and Ohio State when we get there. But before we get to that, uh, we're going to take our first break of the show with a quick word from our sponsor. The Old West is an iconic period of American history. I'm Chris Wimmer. Join me on the Legends of the Old West podcast to hear the true stories of lawmen like Wyatt Earp, Bass Reeves, and the Texas Rangers, outlaws like Jesse James and Butch and Sundance, and Native American battles of the Lakota, Comanche, and Apache. We use cinematic storytelling and sound design to bring these stories and many more to life. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. And we're back here at Picks for Pace. with our first subject for today's episode, we're going to have to be talking about that Clemson-Ohio State game. It was, uh, you know, I, I think while the Alabama-Notre Dame game went about the way I think most people expected it to go with Alabama really just, you know, being too much, having too much talent for Notre Dame to handle, uh, Ohio State versus Clemson was a bit of, of a surprise, uh, not necessarily in terms of uh, some of the performances we got, but the manner of which how much of a blowout it was in this game. You know, if you remember last year, it was a competitive game uh, last season when these two teams faced off against each other. It really came down to that last drive there for the Buckeyes where Justin Fields threw that interception. And in this one, I, I feel like Ohio State got revenge to a degree, you know, rolling to a 49 to 28 victory, uh, just completely blowing out Clemson in this one there. Once we got to the third quarter, the Tigers just had no chance at winning this game. And, you know, I had to feel good for Ohio State. You know, you had Dabo Sweetie there from Clemson, you know, saying clown stuff, just like, you know, Ohio State, they should be the 11th ranked team because they've only played six games in the regular season or some garbage or whatever. Um, so I, I, it must have felt good for Ohio State to get that win there. But the real storyline for them has to be Justin Fields, who I think exercised some demons here. You know, after he struggled last year against Clemson, uh, he probably had the best game he's ever had as a college player. Um, we look at his performance in this game, 22, 28 passing 385 yards, six touchdowns, one interception, 42 yards rushing. And the thing that really stuck out to me was the fact that he wasn't making mistakes. It felt like every decision he made on every play was the right decision. He just looked very comfortable um, in this game, this season. And even when you look at his interception, you know, the ball got tipped on that play. You know, it's very possible when you're looking at his body language on that, that he was looking to throw the ball away. So even the interception, I'm not really sure you can ding that on him as much as it is just really bad luck in that scenario. But obviously, I'm not 100% sure on that play there. He could have been trying to fit that ball into that window, but who knows. But uh, I think the biggest thing with this game is, you know, how does this impact his draft stock moving forward? Because, you know, he's been coming off a couple of poor showings. Uh, in, the, in the games coming leading up to this game, we look at Northwestern and Indiana, not his best performances in big spots. Um, and in this one on a national stage, uh, he was lights out. Um, and I think a lot of credit has to go to him stepping up in this one, dealing with an injury as well, because he got hurt early in this game and had to battle through, I don't know if it was a rib or a hip injury, but it was something like that. They haven't really specified that, but uh, what were your thoughts on his performance overall? And, and how do you think this kind of helps or hurts him? going into the draft process. Yeah, so I thought that, you know, listen, he was in, and I tweeted this out right from the Twitter account at Face Guys, you can follow us on there. But I said this, that Justin Fields was in complete command 
on Saturday night, and he was hands down the best player on the field in that game because you look at a lot of the struggles that were there with, like you mentioned, against Northwestern, against Indiana, and then obviously you combine that with the emergence of Zach Wilson, and everyone's now like, oh, Zach Wilson from BYU's QB too, but then you flash back all the way to last year where I think it was on the last drive or the second to last drive where Fields threw an interception, right? But he used this game to really redeem himself and to prove to the rest of the world that, hey, listen, right? I'm firmly locked in. This is why I should firmly be QB too, because the ball placement was great. Mobility was on display. Just a lot of good things that we knew he was good at, like commanding the offense, all right? Great accuracy. It was all really there, all right? And then obviously the toughness was on display too, because he had, I think it was like the mid by I think it was like the hip injury or something, whatever it was, right, where he got hit on that targeting call, right? It was down for a couple minutes and then you look at that and you're thinking okay is he gonna have to exit that game but then goes out for one or two plays comes right back and I could tell when the camera was on him as he was coming back I was like he's probably throwing a touchdown on the next one or two plays here because you could tell with the body language he was so composed right he was calm composed right had pretty good pocket presence too so Fields did wonders for his draft stock in this game and for me I would still take Fields over Zach Wilson because one of the things that we have to look at when evaluating these quarterbacks is the level of competition that they play against right because you're Biggest stars should show up on the biggest of stages. Now, Zach Wilson, I get BYU was supposed to play a couple of power five schools this year, but um, what happened is the pandemic kind of put a dent into that, right? But Fields, he's played against, you know, Clemson, Ohio State, a lot of big name schools throughout his two years at Ohio State. So the big competition that he's faced is a reason that I firmly believed this semifinals game against Clemson is the reason that he should be cemented as QB two now. Yeah. You, and you can see in games like this, the upside that he has, because, you know, the things that I've questioned with fields is kind of the play to play game to game consistency. And he's kind of been, I wouldn't say bailed out, but certainly the talent around him at Ohio state does cover up some of those flaws that he, he does have at times as a passer. And um, certainly with, you know, being a little bit too slow with his reads and so, something like that. But uh, in this game, like you said, he was lights out for the most part. He was, really doing a great job of getting the ball out quick going through his reads. And uh, he, he made some really pretty uh, deep throws in this game, showing off that deep ball accuracy and arm strength that he has um, really, really good stuff here. And, and I thought Ohio state with what they did offensively and kind of counteract and make things a little bit easier for him. Cause Brent Venables at Clemson, he's one of the best defensive coordinators in all college football. And he does a really good job of, making things very difficult and confusing for opposing quarterbacks to kind of have to decipher. He does a lot of piled stuff with his zone coverages and mixing things up. And you can just tell all game that Clemson's defense was on its heels and confused at times uh, with what Ohio State was doing offensively. So I think that helped Justin Fields get him in a rhythm a little bit more. And, and he showed off, you know, why he's as highly touted as he is as a quarterback prospect. You know, I'm not sure. It's still a long ways away for me to determine whether he's quarterback two or three over Zach Wilson. I think those are the two guys that you're looking at as uh, the two or three spot for the quarterbacks in this upcoming draft, but certainly did a lot to help his draft stock here in this game. There, there's no doubt about it. Uh, Justin Fields, great performance there uh, in this past week. Uh, but speaking of the other quarterback that played in this game, we have to talk about that as well. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, uh, we have to talk, talk about him because while we could be making discussion about Justin Fields working his way up to number two, there was a lot of talk, I think, especially on draft Twitter about, you know, Justin Fields, is he, you know, up there with Trevor Lawrence as quarter one, quarterback one in this draft. And some of that has to do with Justin Fields just being amazing in this game. But some of that has to do with Trevor Lawrence. He's kind of had two underwhelming games in back-to-back uh, big spots here. When you look at last year in the national championship game against LSU, he did not have his best game. And while I didn't – didn't think he necessarily struggled in this one against Ohio State. Again, it wasn't his best game by any means necessary. You look at his numbers here, 33 for 48, 400 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. I thought he struggled with a couple fumbles uh, here and there throughout the game, which it could be concerning. We've seen how like other quarterbacks such as Daniel Jones and Kirk Cousins, they've had their struggles with fumbling in the past, which kind of hurts you as a quarterback in, in terms of that sense. But, uh, you know, for me personally, I don't think it takes anything away from Trevor Lawrence as a prospect in this game. I had a lot of issues with Clemson's game plan, which we can kind of get into here. But uh, for you, you said 
do you think this takes him off that pedestal a little bit as the unquestioned quarterback one going into this upcoming 2021 draft? Not really, because if you look at what he's done prior to the national championship game last year, and then obviously this semifinals game against Ohio State, he's been pretty much lights out, right? I mean, you look at the situation that he stepped into his freshman year. All right, I think he took them all the way to the national championship that year too, and they actually won, which was like two to three years ago at this point. But the point is, is Lawrence has shown us in the past time and time again of this is why I am QB1 in 2021, right? So yeah, he's had two bad games on two big stages, but it's not necessarily that big of a um, concern for me because I think that when the time has come to make plays right, he's been able to make plays. That was obviously not the case in this national championship game, but he still had a pretty solid showing. I just really thought that the issues were not necessarily specific to Trevor Lawrence. They were more so specific to the guys around him as in the offensive playmakers, the rest of the offense, even the defense. And then obviously Brett Venables not necessarily figuring out ways of, okay, how are we going to slow down Justin Fields? And I think that with regards to the gap between Fields and uh, Lawrence, I would say that there is still somewhat of a gap. I would give Lawrence the edge just because how many quarterbacks do we know that are able to – the thing with what makes Lawrence so unique is this, right, is how many quarterbacks do we know that are going to be fresh out of high school and that are going to start in year one? A lot of these guys end up redshirting year one, don't really see the field until what's essentially their second academic year in college, right? That's why Lawrence is unique because he stepped in and lit it up as a 19-year-old. And so when I look at it, like, yeah, Lawrence is still quarterback one for me. This game doesn't necessarily put a uh, dent in his draft stock. And I think that if you are, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars, right, and Shad Khan, the ownership there, you do look past these two games or the national championship game last year in this semifinals game. And you should say that he's still a pretty safe bet to step into Jacksonville day one and absolutely transform the franchise. Yeah, and I like the point you made about, you know, some of the other things around him uh, being more the issue with Clemson in this game. And I completely agree. Look at Clemson's offensive line. You know, Clemson's never really had a great offensive line over the past few years. Uh, even when you're looking back at Deshaun Watson's days at Clemson, you know, they didn't really have great offensive lines. But they certainly have done a good job of developing playmakers for these quarterbacks as well, I should say. But the offensive line was a huge issue for Clemson in this game. I felt like uh, Jackson Carmen at left tackle for them, another guy – an offensive tackle prospect in this class that, you know, looks like a, a solid day two type of talent, but he really struggled to deal with uh, the speed rushers of Ohio State in this game, getting a lot of quick pressure on Trevor Lawrence in this one. Um, you know, that that wasn't the case with Justin Fields. Justin Fields, for the most part, he had all day to throw behind a very stout Ohio State offensive line. Not the case for uh, Trevor Lawrence in this game. And uh, I again, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but I felt like the coaching staff for Clemson, I don't know what they were trying to do offensively in this game. You know, it's late in the third quarter. They're down by two or three scores, and they're still running quarterback draws with Trevor Lawrence. And that was what or one of those fumbles happened for Trevor Lawrence. I, I just don't get the strategy they were going with. They didn't really try and air it out until like late in the fourth quarter when the game was already out of hand. Didn't really make much sense to me. I, I You know, there were a lot of issues I, I found with Clemson in this one, but you know, even in a quote-unquote bad game for Trevor Lawrence, this is what makes him a the number one prospect at quarterback in this upcoming draft. Even in a quote-unquote bad game for him, he was still very solid overall and made some impressive throws in this game and impressive plays throughout that just should excite you, I think, as a Jaguars fan or a Jets fan and saying that, you know, this guy has that upside speed, you know, a really, really good quarterback. Um in, at the next level and his floor is really high as well with the amount of experience he has and the amount of talent he has um yeah so for me I, I think that kind of answers the questions uh answers that question for you guys you know Trevor Lawrence to me he's still the unquestioned number one quarterback in this draft class I don't think this one game should uh determine you know how good or or bad a player is going to be at the next level you know you have to look at every single game every single throw every single rep and make your decision there when you look at things from that perspective. Trevor Lawrence, I think he's still undoubtedly the number one guy. Um, and we'll just see how everything plays out when we get to that point in the pre-draft process. All right. So we have a lot to talk about then with the college football championship preview with Alabama and Ohio State now kind of moving on from this game here to that one. 
Um, but before we get to that, we're going to take our second break of the show with our with another word from our sponsor. And we're back here at Picks for Pace, moving on from talking about the college football playoff semifinal game between Clemson and Ohio State. Now we're going to be talking about the championship game for the college football playoff between Alabama and Ohio State and previewing some of the main things going on in that one. Uh, for those wondering, the Alabama versus Ohio State game is going to be on this upcoming Monday, January 11th. Uh, but due to some COVID concerns at Ohio State, there is some talk about it potentially being postponed to January 18th. So that's something that's going to have to be monitored over the next week, over this upcoming week or so. Um, you know, that, that definitely could change in the upcoming days, uh, depending on how that situation plays out. But we'll just have to wait and see uh, on that. I guess uh, we'll just we'll find out until Sunday or Saturday, I'm, I'm guessing, uh, whether that game will be moved or not. But uh, what I wanted to talk about today, you say, was some of the major storylines I, I think that we had to discuss for this game. You know, I wanted to start off with maybe the biggest storyline really in college football right now, and that's Devontae Smith winning the Heisman Award. And Devontae Smith, uh, he had a historic season for a wide receiver, uh, the first wide receiver since Desmond Howard to win the Heisman Trophy. So you said, what are your thoughts on Devontae Smith winning the Heisman, and do you think it's deserving um, of Heisman Award for his season this year. Yeah, I think, you know, I was not surprised that he won it just because I think that when we look at all the great talent that is going to be coming out in this 2021 draft, and then obviously you look at it and you realize, okay, the big, there, there's every single year what happens in the NFL draft process is this, right? Is that there's always a couple names that you look at that kind of headline the class. In the past, it's been guys like Saquon Barkley and Chase Young, you know, those types of players. Deshaun Watson's even one of them. But then this draft, you look at it and everyone was saying, well, it's all about Lawrence and Fields, you know, and then Penay Sewell, another guy. But then you look at Devontae Smith, right? Coming out of, I don't want to say he came out of nowhere to win it, but the reality of this situation is that for someone that is, you know, whatever, 5'10", 5'11", right? And is only like 175 pounds. It's really impressive that he won. It's really impressive kind of how he was the reason because he was essentially the biggest, you know, focal point, the catalyst, the spark that Alabama's offense kind of needed at times in 2020, right? So I'm not surprised that he ended up winning it. Um, and if anything, I would say that this serves to kind of show that this award, Smith winning the Heisman, right, is a prime example of why we can't just always be giving the award to quarterbacks, even though all the lights and cameras are always on the quarterbacks, right? So, yeah, Smith really deserved this award. He was hands down, I think, in my opinion, the best playmaker in college football this year. So I'm definitely going to be excited to see, like, He's going to be a first-round pick, you know, and I'm excited to see, like, how is this Smith winning the award? How is that going to change the perception of the who deserves to get the Heisman moving forward? Yeah, he, he defines the award in, you know, every sense in terms of being the most outstanding player um, in college football. That's what Devontae Smith was this season. You could just tell once J Jalen Waddle went down, who, you know – in many situations, a player like Jalen Waddle going down for, you know, an extended period of time would absolutely hamstring an offense, you know, at this level of football, especially, you know, Mac Jones is a solid quarterback. I'm not sure if he's necessarily a great NFL prospect at quarterback. So uh, that is an issue to kind of deal with there, but this offense just never, never stopped humming uh, when, when Waddle went down. Cause, and that's because in large part, because Devontae Smith was just that outstanding. He really stepped up this year, and not only was he the number one guy for this offense, but he was the number one wide receiver by a long shot in college football and wasn't even close. He was clearly the best guy in the NFL, in the in college, I should say. Uh, he's going to have a uh, an argument's going to be made that he's going to be wide receiver one when it comes to this draft. And like you said, I'm talking about his physical profile. It's very interesting because you look at uh, Smith just if he was like in shirt and t-shirt and, t and shorts or whatever and you would not say that okay this guy is a you know a absolute you know beast on the football field at, at wide receiver you wouldn't say that because he's he's you know kind of tiny he's kind of skinny he, he doesn't run the, the fastest 40 um yard dash out of you know some of these other speedsters like he's not a henry ruggs type of fast um you know if that makes any sense there you know he's fast but not like on the 40 yard dash or anything but he just goes out there and he makes plays. And I kind of tweeted this out there, you know, somebody with his physical profile shouldn't dominate the way that he does, but he just has that, 
that sixth sense on the football field where he just, where there's a play that needs to be made. He makes it, you know, if he needs to make a, a tough catch in traffic, he makes it. If he needs to, you know, leap outside of his catch radius to go make a catch, he does it. You know, if he needs to run away from somebody, he makes it. it whatever you need him to do, he does it at the wide receiver position. And he's just a very fun player to watch. And it'll be interesting to see how the NFL views him because I think a lot of teams could be turned off by his physical profile because the, the, the track record of guys with his size making it in the NFL, it's a bit questionable to say the least. But I mean, what the main comparison I've seen for him as an NFL prospect for many people is Marvin Harrison. You know, another guy that he was six foot one, I think Marvin Harrison, about 170 pounds for his career. And he had probably one of the best tenure stretches we've ever seen from a wide receiver in NFL history. Obviously playing with Peyton Manning, that helps you a bit, but still Marvin Harrison, a fantastic player, a hall of fame type of player. And Devontae Smith, if he can have translate that success from college to the NFL, the sky's the limit for his upside because he's just, I mean, there are some guys that look better in shorts, but he's just a great football player. And that's, what's really important here when evaluating these guys. Yeah, definitely. You know, I agree with that. And so I think like, you know, looking at it, I would say the way he's kind of taken over with Alabama, and I know I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, he definitely is someone that is going to be, I think the first wide receiver taken off the board, definitely going to be a first round pick too. And I would really be interested in seeing kind of what what team drafts him and then how is he going to fit into that team's offensive game plan because we know that he is going to be a um featured weapon but obviously like different teams tend to use their playmakers in different capacities and i think you know that's going to be the interesting thing to uh watch with smith as he kind of does eventually get to the nfl because he's not like you know six foot two six foot three so you might just see teams kind of have him operate like from inside the slot now granted he can still be like a featured weapon from there but yeah he's going to be an elite playmaker at the next level that's going to be a featured weapon that is going to be someone that is able to uh spark a uh, team whenever they need it yeah, absolutely. And, you know, hopefully he has some big moments in this game because there are some weaknesses in Ohio State secondary that I think can be exploited. Uh, speaking of Ohio State, I think another storyline to watch for in this game is a guy we just talked about here earlier in the show. That's Justin Fields. You know, Justin Fields, he's dealing with, they haven't specified it. It's, it's a rib or hip injury. I kind of mentioned this before, but what is his health status going forward for this game? And how will he follow up his dominant performance against Clemson? I mean, those are the two things to look at here because, man, if you can follow up what he did against Clemson with a big performance in this game, his his draft stock is going to skyrocket, I think, in this one. Yeah, and I definitely agree. And, you know, Fields' health is definitely going to be a key thing to monitor because I think that a lot of times when we do – you know, it's a basic thing with any quarterback, right? What tends to happen is when they are throwing, you know, they do need to fully step into throws. They do have to fully rotate their hips, right? And when you're not able to fully rotate your hips, right? This is just like basic QB play and mechanics, et cetera, that kind of, et cetera, that type, type of stuff. When you're not able to fully step into your throws, what happens is you are not able to place them, right? Your accuracy tends to suffer, right? And so for fields, the key thing is going to be how healthy is he? And then how is the hip going to be? feeling because his ball placement like we've mentioned earlier on the podcast is phenomenal right and the last thing that you would want is for things like his accuracy and his ball placement to suffer as a result of the injured hip but what I will say is this is I know for a fact that the way he came back and the way he performed regardless of whatever the status of the hip is unless it's so serious that they're going to keep him out no Justin Fields is going to play in the national championship game on Monday night or whenever the game's supposed to be yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that he's going to play. It's just a matter of how he's going to function and, and what is his pain tolerance, I think, is the big key here. Um, I think he was operating off of definitely off of adrenaline in that game against Clemson, which I think helped him quite a bit. And, you know, there's sometimes when you're operating off of adrenaline, off of an injury, that you can go into a zone where there's some, just some things that you can't explain um, from, perform, from an athlete performance standpoint. We're just doing things just – off of instinct there. And I, I think that might've been the case with fields who knows whether he's going to be feeling more of that pain in this one here in, in this game, you know, certainly I feel like Alabama's pass rush is a little bit better than Clemson's, which could be an issue for him. If they start hitting him early on, that could cause some problems. I think here and there in terms of dealing with that pain tolerance there, but you know, it, it's going to be a huge performance for him. If, if he's 
clearly hampered, clearly showing that he's hampered due to the injury. I don't think that's going to affect his draft stock in any way, but if he, if he can overcome that and, and have a big performance here, I think many scouts will look at him a lot highly, a lot more highly, I should say, because he's showing that toughness. He's showing that endurance to be able to play through injury and, and play through uh, some less than ideal circumstances there against top competition in a big time moment. I mean, that's huge stuff that you have to look at when evaluating these prospects. Uh, we can get so nitpicky here and there with all the little details about evaluating the position. But at the end of the day, sometimes it's about, are you making the big time plays in the big time moments when your team needs them the most? And if you can do that here, that's going to be, that's going to be huge. Uh, it certainly would solidify his spot as quarterback two in this draft. Uh, and last thing here um, that I have noted down here for a storyline in this game is some prospects that have been a bit disappointing this season. Uh, specifically, I have two, one on each team here to look at. Uh, for Alabama, I have Dylan Moses. And for Ohio State, we, we mentioned him last week, and that's Sean Wade, uh, cornerback there for them. Can they finish their seasons on a high note? Both these guys, they were considered locks to be first-round picks before the season, but they've struggled, struggled mightily. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me one bit to see both of these guys really take a huge drop in draft stock um, once we get to that process there before the draft takes place. So they need big performance here. I think it's easy to say, but they need huge performances uh, for for their draft outlook going forward. Yeah, I agree. And I think that the big thing to keep in mind with Moses and Sean Wade, right, is that both of these guys went into the summer, throughout the summer going into the season, right? These were two guys that were viewed as like top guys at their position, right? For a lot of people, they had Sean Wade as cornerback one. And a lot of people were saying, okay, well, you look at a lot of the OSU – cornerbacks that have come out over the last couple of years which would be Denzel um Denzel Ward would be one of them for the Browns he went both fourth overall in 2018 all right Marshawn Lattimore is another guy who I think was a top five or top 10 pick a couple of years ago 2017 for the Saints so a lot of people are like okay Sean Wade is the next guy to add on to that list right and then you look at Dylan Moses going into the year everyone knew Micah Parsons from Penn State was going to be the best consensus linebacker in this draft and last year at this time there was talk about Dylan Moses being a first round pick and being one of the first linebackers selected off the board but he went back to Alabama because of a torn ACL and so this year Moses has not really looked especially with the emergence of a lot of the other linebackers Moses has kind of been pushed down the board I would say that Wade still has a chance to be a late first round pick early second rounder for sure but regarding Dylan Moses, I think right now, if you were to ask me where do I think he's going to get picked, I would probably say he's going to be a surefire second rounder for sure, unless he magically turns it around in this championship game and then just absolutely blows away the NFL at the pre-draft process, which would be like the combine and then the top 30 player visits and that kind of stuff to vault himself into the first round conversation. Yeah, I was re-watching uh, a few days ago the, the Florida national, the uh, SEC championship game against Florida a few days ago and just kind of – I wasn't necessarily watching him specifically. Uh, just I was watching uh, some of the Florida playmakers, Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Toney, kind of get a little f- better, better feel of those two players. But anyway, moving on from that. But, um, yeah, I did, I did notice that Dylan Moses, he had some major struggles in that game for sure. Uh, didn't really stand out against Notre Dame either. So he's going to be – the really show some things here, especially in coverage. Cause he's an athletic linebacker, or at least that's what his reputation would say. Uh, he needs to show some things in coverage, especially because we're, we're, we're seeing in the NFL now, yeah, run defense. It, it's great to have a, a good run defending linebacker that can take on blocks and, and stuff gaps and fill holes and, and things of that nature. But at the end of the day, it's a passing league and uh, you need linebackers that aren't going to be weakness for weaknesses for you in coverage and that can exploit mismatches uh, so that offenses can't take advantage of that. We saw that, you know, in the Bears game this past week, Dan Trevathan being matched up on a, on a wide receiver. Obviously, that's really dumb for your defensive coordinator to be calling for that matchup in the first place. But the point still stands that you need linebackers that are athletic enough and instinctive enough to be able to hold up in coverage, um, even if they have to go up against wide receivers and match zones and things of that nature. So uh, if Dylan Moses, there's there's – a lot of bad tape on him this season that he's going to need to, you know, overcome, I think for his draft prospects. And the same goes for Sean Wade. He had some struggles in that Clemson game um, getting turned around quite a bit in that one. So uh, it's, it's going to be tough. I, I, 
I can kind of agree with you that I think both these guys are probably looking at as second round prospects, but it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever to see them drop even further to the third, maybe even fourth round, especially if they don't finish the year strong. And, you know, it, it, the recency bias is going to be huge, I think, for a lot of these guys. If, if they finish on a strong note, on a high note, uh, that could really help them out in a number of ways. Uh, so we're going to finish off this podcast uh, kind of transitioning now uh, with a quick preview of the Bears-Saints game. I think we've talked a lot about the college football playoff. All I know is it's going to be an exciting game overall. What's your prediction for who's going to win this one, you said? So, yeah, my prediction for this game is going to be – I'm going to say it's going to be a high-scoring one because these college games are always super hard to predict. But I'm going to go ahead and say Alabama wins 52 to 45. Yeah, I can see that working out that way. I don't think defenses are going to be uh, very apparent on this one. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with the highest scoring one as well. I think Alabama wins uh, 41 to 38. I think they're going to win on a last second field goal in this one. Um, So I think it's going to be an exciting shootout. I don't expect defenses to be really noteworthy in this game, but uh, should be a really fun game to watch, I think, overall and something to look forward to on um, Monday night. All right, so we have Bear Saints preview to talk about here. But before we get to that, we're going to take a, our last break of the show with a quick word from our sponsor. And we're back here at Pixar Pace talking about this Bear Saints game. You said we're getting playoff football now, and it's uh, it's going to be an interesting matchup here. You know, The last time these, te- these two teams met, the Saints won in overtime at Soldier Fear tw- at Soldier Field, I should say, 26-23. Uh, but it should be noted that these two teams were completely different at that time of the year. They, they met in the middle of the season. The Bears were 5-2, and two, I think, at that point. Um, and the Saints were, I believe, 4-2 and two at that point as well. I might have to double-check that, 4-1 or something like that. But point is that both of these teams were uh, at the top of the NFC at the time, but they were on different trajectories. The Bears, they were kind of starting their downward slide into their six-game losing streak, while the Saints – that was the time of the year where they really started to get going here. And you look at some of the things uh, that were different in that matchup. For one, the quarterback was different for the Bears. Nick Foles was starting for the Bears in that game. Obviously, it's a much different offense with Mitch Trubisky because uh, he can do a lot more of the outside zone play action, bootleg type of action that we've seen over the past six weeks or so As in, you know, in regards to that. Uh, with Nick Foles at starter, you're not really doing much of that. So. The offense, it was a bit of a rut at that point of the year. The offensive line, they had a lot of injuries at that point, especially in that game specifically. Um, you know, I think Cody Whitehair was out in that game. Bobby Massey left that game early, I believe. You have Rashad Coward starting there. Ifedi is in there at right guard. You have Jason Spriggs coming in at right tackle. Uh, it, it was That game was a mess for the offensive line. They had a tough time holding up against the Saints pass rush. Um, uh, but they've been healthier over the last six weeks weeks or so. So you look at that, will that be a different matchup there? But you look at the health of the Saints team, they could be having Michael Thomas back in this one. Um, that could be huge for their offense because they haven't had him all season long, including that Bears game. He just adds another playmaker for Drew Brees to get the ball to underneath on some of those underneath slant routes and get yards after the catch, make a bunch of tough catches in traffic. He has a lot to that offense for them. And their defense has really taken off over the second half of the year. You know, they've been playing like one of the best units in football. Uh, while look at the Bears, you know, they've been okay, I think, but they, they've really taken a huge step back from where they were at earlier in the year where they were healthier, they were playing at a much better level. So a lot are di- a lot is different from when we the last saw these two teams match up against each other. Uh, you say, when you're looking at this one, what's your X factor for this game? What do you think is going to be the biggest key thing for – uh, the Bears to get this win here in this game. So, yeah, I would say the X factor is definitely um, quarterback play, right? Again, we've said, I've said this time and time again, my articles on Bear Report when we do have the weekly predictions, but like if you want to win in this league, right, if you want to go on any sort of playoff run, you need to have really good and solid, good, solid, stable quarterback play is what it comes down to, right? Unfortunately, we've seen multiple times that there is a narrative that people suggest of, hey, listen, go ahead, just let Mitch Trubisky let it rip, right? Go ahead, you know, quit with the conservative game plans. But there's an issue with that. And there's an issue with that because we've seen when Nagy tries to kind of not be so conservative, when he does call, when the Bears are calling plays that are going to allow for Mitch Trubisky to just go ahead and let it rip, we've seen that bad things happen over and over again, 
right? And Mitch makes the same mistakes in year four that he's been making in um, years one, in years one, two, and three, right? So I would say Mitch Trubisky is the X factor. I think that if he can have a solid game, he can, you know, hit the receivers consistently down the field, not just on these like six, seven, eight yard kind of dink and dunk offense type, these six, seven, eight yard pass plays. If he can hit the deep ball consistently, he can get Allen Robinson going. All right. Then there's a chance that the bears are going to have an opportunity to be in this game. I would say that a key to the game for me is limiting your mistakes on both sides of the ball, right. On offense and on defense, because this saints team, with or without Alvin Kamara, the thing is that they are the type of team that is going to take advantage of any type of mistake you give them. And the way they take advantage is by scoring points and scoring touchdowns, right? Whether it's just like field goals or touchdowns, right? They will figure out a way to take advantage of your mistakes and score points. So for Chicago, right, they need to limit the mistakes on both sides of the ball and essentially play a near-perfect game because if the game gets out of hand, it's going to be very tough for the Bears to try to come back against a team like the Saints. Yeah, I think their game plan is going to be very similar to what they did really against the Packers, really what they've done over the last six weeks. It's going to be a lot of trying to run the ball. They're going to try and do a lot of play action off of that, a lot of bootleg stuff to kind of get Mitch on the move, simplify his reads a little bit, do a lot of passing underneath to kind of move the chains a little bit, get yards after the catch, and then hopefully they can catch the Saints in in an opportune look for a deep shot off of play action here and there. And like you said, Trubisky is going to have to convert on those when he does get the opportunity to make those type of plays. But yeah, it's going to be tough because the Saints, they do have a good pass rush and their defense has been playing very well. So like you said, you know, quarterback play, it's the most important thing, I think, for long-term success and sustainable success, especially when you get to the playoffs against high-level competition. You know, I'm not one to use PFF grades a lot because I think there is some issues with some of their grading systems here and there. I don't want to get too far into that though, but they have Mr. Trubisky graded as the, I think the lowest graded quarterback in the playoffs currently just across the NFL. So uh, it's, it's going to be interesting how uh, bears and their coaching staff kind of operates around that uh, for my X factor. Uh, I'm going on the other side of the ball. I'm going to go in with the defense here because, you know, they are just dealing with a lot of health issues right now. And that could be a huge problem for them going up against the saints team that, like you said, uh, it doesn't matter what the saints do. They score a bunch of points and it doesn't matter who's healthy for them at quarterback. It doesn't matter who their wide receivers are. You know, Sean Payton has found ways to manufacture offense and get that thing rolling on a consistent basis for that saints team week after week, after week, after week. And it's going to be tough for the bears it was already going to be tough for the bears with a healthy defense, but they're not even a healthy defense right now. Um, you look at them, they could be without three key starters here in this game. When you look at Roquan Smith dealing with an elbow injury, Jalen Johnson, he's still dealing with that shoulder injury and in Buster screen with a concussion. Those are three key starters in the back end of that defense. And that's huge because, you know, who's going to be guarding Michael Thomas. If he's healthy, you know, is Roquan Smith. He had a big game. The last time these two teams played, he did a really nice job. I felt like, against Alvin Kamara in coverage, who's that coverage linebacker that's going to step up for him if he can't go out there and play? That's going to be huge. And then obviously Buster Screen in the slot. I mean, he hasn't had a great year, but he's still a veteran player. Do you want to really rely on Duke Shelley and Kendall Vildor, uh, two young players to be able to not make mistakes in this game? So that's going to be that's going to be huge for them because, you know, I expect the Saints to get their, you know, get their share of points anyway, but the Bears at some point, they're going to need to get a big stop on third down here, they're going to need to get, uh, you know, a big play with a turnover here at some point. And it's going to be much tougher without those three in the lineup if they can't go. Yeah, definitely. Agree. And, you know, the big thing to keep in mind with this Saints offense is that it's like, you know, they have playmakers all over the place, right? And they have guys that we've never even heard of that are probably going to end up making a play in this game, right? So, you know, that their playmaking core is headline on the offensive side of the ball by Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, right? And there's actually a chance that Kamara plays on Sunday, but the Bears just released their injury report. You mentioned Buster Screen. He was listed that did not practice today, right? But then kind of, you know, you're also going to have to account for guys like Traquan Smith, guys like Tommy Lee Lewis, guys like Josh Hill, right? The thing is, is that the Saints system is the type of offensive system where it's like a plug and play, right? Anyone's going to fit in and anyone's essentially going to look good because the coaching staff, they do that good of a job of developing your guys. So Chicago's going to have to account for a lot more on the Saints offense than just Thomas and Kamara. And then 
the reality of the situation, right, is that it's like the Bears have a lot of defensive woes because it was very clear of the way that the defense really took us. St- the defense is already really regressed this year, and that was with Roquan Smith playing at a high level. And we're recording this on a Wednesday afternoon. Roquan Smith did not practice today, right? He's listed as did not practice. But we saw the way that the defense really took a step back without Roquan Smith in that Packers game. And now you're going into a game and you're realizing, okay, so you're going to have to change a couple things up because you can't ask Danny Trevathan to really be a guy in coverage, right? You are going to have to rely on your defensive uh, your, yeah, your defensive backs more to be able to really pick the slack up. And I think that that's where – Guys like Eddie Jackson, who have really regressed this year, are going to have to be players that step up and make plays in this game if Chicago's going to have a shot. Yep, there's a lot of resources invested on that defense. A lot of uh, high-priced playmakers there. Someone's going to have to make a play at some point in this game. You can't just leave your offense out there to dry because, uh, you know, they're going to have their struggles at some point in this game as well, and that's just what's going to happen, I feel like. But uh, I want to get to the prediction for this one to end this thing. You said, uh, what's your prediction for this game? Who do you think's winning and what do you think the score is going to be? Yeah. So I'm going to say that the bears go one and done just simply because the saints are a much better coach football team in every aspect from offense to defense, to special teams, to details. Um, I'm going to say the saints win 31 to 17. Yeah. I'm in agree with, agreement with you. I think it's a one and done year for the bears in the playoffs. I can't say that's too surprising. I feel like the saints, you know, they're it's Drew Brees' last year, I feel like, as a quarterback here. I think he's going to be retiring after this season. I think they're going to be motivated uh, to get this win here for him and move on in the playoffs. And I just, quite frankly, I think they're just the better team. I think the Bears match up better against them than they do with the Packers. But I, I think it'll be close, but the Saints are going to pull away at some point in the fourth quarter. Uh, I'm going with the score 30 to 20 in this one. I think it's a one and done year. For the Bears and a long offseason ahead with a lot of uncertainty with it. All right. Uh, with that, I think that's a good time to conclude this episode of the Picks for Pace podcast. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Picks for Pace. Uh, you say, where can they follow you on Twitter and find your work? Yeah, guys, you can follow me on Twitter at Usaid Kosher. You can read my work on the Bear Report as well. I have a couple articles coming out this week just because it is playoff time for the bears and then obviously college football coming this Monday too. So yeah, guys check my workout on the bear report. Yep. And you can follow me at Twitter at HA Freeman 25. You can find my work at the bear report as well. And for those that have followed my work on YouTube as well for the bear report, uh, keep an eye out for that. I have a project coming up for that at some point over the next week or two. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, thank you for listening here. Uh, and we thank you for listening here at the Pixel Face podcast bear down everybody. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.